I do want to thank all of you guys who came out on Monday. Man, we had a blast. It was just the coolest thing in the whole world to have a bunch of you guys there. And we were grilling and we were playing ball and we were playing basketball and wiffle ball and people just hiking the property and hanging out. And I'm just so pumped about all that's going to happen down there. But when we closed on the property a few weeks ago, we got to the closing or rather the walkthrough and the guy kind of had like a lot of stuff still on the property, which kind of shocked us. We were expecting, hey, we're going to move in, all's going to be well. But this guy had trailers and trucks and all kinds of tools and just everything everywhere. And so he said, I'm going to need a little time to still get some of this stuff out. And so we were like, all right, let's be gracious to the guy. And so we left the keypad, the same code on the front gate so he could get in and out as he kind of wanted to. But then eventually he said, hey, I, I got everything out. And so you guys, you know, do what you got to do. And so we wanted to change the code. I mean, we liked the guy and all, but we didn't want to be able to get on the property quite whenever he wanted to. And so I had a friend in the church who's really techie and smart with all this stuff. And so, hey, could you just help me figure out how to change this, this code? And so he was very patient. He's looking up all the manuals for me, looking at the YouTube stuff, and he's talking, uh, talking me through it. But what he didn't realize was this very important piece of information, and that is that I am an idiot. And uh, so as we were trying to change the code, what you do is you enter the old code, old code a certain amount of times, then the new code a certain amount of times. And in that process, I somehow entered a code that I no longer knew. And so we were trying to keep one guy out and we left everybody in. Like the gates were just stuck open. And so I was really frustrated. We finally got it working. But I just hate when things get broken. And when things get broken, it requires extra time and extra attention. And you have to start to say, okay, how are we going to fix this problem, right? What are we going to do? I got to tell you right now, guys, I feel like in our nation, we're living in this broken land right now, this broken land, this broken country, this broken nation, and it's going to acquire or rather require some attention to fix it, some time, some passion, trying to figure out what we can do to see God transform this whole thing. How, how is this going to take place? Like, What's it going to take for God to turn our nation around, to make us no longer a broken land, to heal our land? What's it going to take for God to reach our community and our neighborhoods and, and this new community right down this street now as we are certainly supposed to be on this specific street long term? Like what's it going to take for God just to move, to transform the high school and the middle schools right within the, this block here? What's it going to take for God to work in our church in such a mighty way that what Joey prayed tonight would be true, that every time we wake up, we walk in the miraculous and we see God at work, that that breakthrough we were just singing about actually comes, right? What's it going to take for all that? to happen? What's it going to take for God to move so that bodies are healed and marriages are restored and, and some of you guys just battling some huge demons, if you're honest, would just find breakthrough from all that, right? When's God going to heal our broken land? You see, our land is full of violence and disunity and fear and godlessness right now. And I'll tell you, we're headed on a scary course. And so what can we do? What can we do to see God show up and make a difference now? There's this amazing passage in the book of 2 Chronicles, and I know you guys are in 2 Chronicles like every day, right? You guys are posting about it, right? No, like this book doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's really powerful, and there's one specific story that I want to highlight here. It's called Chronicles because it chronicled or told the story of God's people at a certain time, and there's this really relevant section to what we're talking about. And God gives his people a promise, and his people were living in a broken land at the time this promise was given. Things were falling apart, man, just like they are right now in our world. And I'm telling you, I am fired up tonight because I get to talk with you, and many of you are under the age of 30, and if you're not, that's okay, neither am I, but I'm so glad you're here. But for those of you under the age of 30, especially, I want to light a fire under you to live for something bigger than yourself and to be called to something great in a very, very strategic hour. 
And so in this passage, God gives his people this promise. And we have to be careful with promises in the word of God because sometimes what we're tempted to do is to look at a promise that was given and then decide, oh yeah, that's meant for me too, right? Like any promise given at any time is for anybody. Well, that's not always true. Sometimes a specific promise was given to specific people at a specific time, right? I think about how Kelly and I have parented. We've been very careful about when our older son can do certain things because we know that when we allow him to do something, our younger kids are going to feel like that's almost like a promise made to them when they can start doing those things too, you know? And so when Cade got a cell phone was very, very purposeful. When he was allowed to start using social media was very, very purposeful. Dating stuff, very, very purposeful, all that, right? And, and there's one exception here. Now, my beautiful daughter, Brittany, is here in the front row. And there's this one exception that what applies to Landon and Cade when it comes to dating does not apply to Bryn, okay? <laughs> Just want to throw that out there, right? And, and if you've been around for a while, you know what my whole standard is here. Basically, she's allowed to date at 40 and marry at 80. That's, that's, that's what we're looking at right now. And she jokes back with me. She goes, but, but you'll, you won't even be alive for the wedding. And I'm like, what do you have plans to take me out? Like, I can make it to 108, girl, all right? I got this. But see, the, the, the mistake Bryn would make would be to think that whatever Kate and Landon can do, she can do. Uh-uh, baby, all right? Not going to happen, right? Different, different promise, different standard. And so I don't want us to think, oh, yeah, man, it's just a one big blank check written to us, right? But here's what I do believe. Here's what I do believe. I believe that the things that moved God's heart thousands of years ago in the book of Chronicles will still move God's heart. And maybe we don't have the same exact promise, but we have the same exact God, and I think his heart will be moved as you and I take seriously the things that he called his people to a very long time ago. And so we're going to look in 2 Chronicles 7 and just believe and pray and ask God that he would give us a certain favor and a certain grace in this really, really vital hour of our nation's history. So 2 Chronicles 7 verse 13 says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour their land, or send a plague among my people. Now you're going, wait, I thought we were getting promises here. I thought this was going to be good. Well, we have to set the stage, right? Because like I said before, the Israelites who got the promise we're about to read in just a minute, they were living in a broken land. And you might say, well, this doesn't sound like a loving, merciful God. Why would he do those things? He would do these types of things to discipline his kids that he loves. You see, there was this cycle that went on in the nation of Israel. And it went like this disobedience, discipline, devotion, deliverance. And it happened over and over and over again. If you read through the Old Testament, you see them disobeying God, and then you see him bringing discipline, and then you see the Israelites devoting their hearts to God for a season, and then him delivering them and rescuing them out of what they were going through. And right now in the cycle, God is saying, hey guys, you've been living in disobedience, and your land is broken, and here's the discipline that I may bring on you. But, you see, but for, for you and I here today, I think as we look at our nation, we, we have to ask the question before we move on, like, where are we in this cycle? You know, disobedience, discipline, devotion, deliverance, where are we? I think we were really kind of walking out of the tail end of a lot of disobedience. And if I'm honest, I think we're under some discipline right now. And again, a good dad disciplines his kids. A good dad sees his kids going somewhere they shouldn't be going, somewhere deadly, and then does whatever it takes to get them back. And sometimes God allows that to happen in our life. Now this message series, though, is not meant to be a downer. It's meant to help us realize that if that's where we are in the cycle, then, man, let's get to devotion and deliverance, right? 
Let's move on to that next step. But we have to wake up a little bit here, church. We have to be willing to do this. And the next part proves it. Look at what he says in this next part. He says, if my people, if my people, he's about to make a promise. But before we get to the promise, before he tells us what we need to do to sort of see God heal our land, I just want us to be sure we know really who is responsible to step up right now. You see, it doesn't say here, if the people outside the walls of the church will do what I'm about to tell them to do. It doesn't say, oh, all those people, all that mess out there, everybody out there living in darkness, doing whatever they want, all them, if they'll do, you know what I'm asking, if they'll wake up, then I'll show up. No, it says, if my people, if my people, if the people inside the church walls, you're here at church on a Sunday night, if you and me, if we take this seriously, watch what God will do. You see, as Christians, we're really good at thinking God is telling us this so that we can go tell everybody else what's wrong with them. But man, no, this is about us. It starts here. I don't know about you, but anytime I've ever read or heard about revival, it wasn't a bunch of Christians sitting in the room saying, oh God, change them, oh God, change them. It was a bunch of Christians sitting in the room saying, God, start with me, start with us right here. And so God calls them out and says, hey, if my people will get serious and watch what I'll do. We lost a really great man, a godly man, just a few months ago, Pastor Sal Greco. He was the principal and pastor and overseer of Smithtown Christian School, a school that I went to for many years. And were it not for him, I probably would have been kicked out of that school. And the same is true from a man, Joey. And so praise God for how he changes lives, okay? But Pastor Greco saw through our pranks, our silliness, and lighting certain things on fire, and instead <laughs> saw behind, deep inside, the heart, the heart that God was, was moving on. And Pastor Greco spoke at my son's eighth grade graduation just last year, and he said something powerful as he was talking about the brokenness of the world and the darkness of the world. He said this, he said, light a candle instead of cursing the darkness. And we as Christians are so good at cursing the darkness. Instead, we gotta light a candle. And so that's what God is saying here. Hey, hey, if my people will show up, man, if my people will light a candle and get ready and get this fire in their heart, watch what I will do. So how do we light a candle in 2019? I think we do it the same way that God challenged his people to do thousands of years ago. So let's get to it. He says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Four elements that make up a season of devotion right there. And that's what this series is going to be. We're going to talk about these four elements as throughout the course of this series and talk about what does it look like to humble ourselves? What does it look like to pray and to seek the face of God and to turn from our wicked ways? And what I get fired up about is this next part. It says this, then if my people will do these things, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And so we see what a season of devotion looks like. It looks like humbling ourselves, praying, seeking the face of God, and turning from our wicked ways. And we also see what a season of deliverance looks like. It looks like God showing up and hearing and healing our land. And guys, I'm telling you, we need this right now. I don't know. I hope you're seeing it. I hope you're seeing what's going on in the world around us. I hope you're seeing the way our nation is crumbling and falling apart. We need God so badly right now. And so I just want us to take a step back and look at those four elements that God really challenges people with, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. We need to move, guys, from the season of disobedience and discipline and turn that corner to devotion and deliverance. We don't want to miss out on all that God wants to do. We don't want to miss out on him transforming this community and this island and out into this nation. We want to see God show up. 
I know you care about the people you work with and go to school with. I know you care about the people that you live with. I know you care about your neighbors. And guys, it's time for us as the church to really rise up to this challenge. And what I love about the 30 and under crowd is you guys are waiting to be called to something huge. And guys, we got a nation to turn around. We've got a nation to turn around. I don't know the last time a generation had that on their shoulders, but it's now. And we've got to really wake up as the people of God and rise up to this challenge. Have you ever thought about the conversations that have taken place? Like I think back to that terrible time in American history when we had slavery, right? And I think about there must have been some conversations where maybe the kids or the grandkids of the generation that lived through slavery, I have to believe that they went up to some of them, and some of the, those that weren't slaves, some of those that had been freed throughout the process, or, or those that were never slaves, or those that maybe even had owned slaves. And I have to believe the kids and the grandkids said, what did you do while this was taking place? Did you just sit and watch, or did you do something to make a difference, right? And I really believe, guys, the day will come when our kids and grandkids come to us And they say to us, wait, you lived in that season, that time when America was going off the rails. Did you just sit and watch it or did you make a difference? Do you realize that throughout history, things like slavery and other things have seemed like, oh, that will never change. That will never end. It's just going to keep on getting worse. Well, praise God, we look back and we realize, man, godly men and women stood up and those things changed. And man, I'm telling you right now, I think some of us, and it's easy, even, even easy for me sometimes to just sit back and be like, hey, it's just the way it is, man. This world's evil and it's getting bad and it's getting scary. But man, I believe that God is calling you and I to step up and to live a different way and to really see God come and heal our land. And so what's the first thing that God called his people to? Humble themselves. Our nation as a whole, I think we really are the opposite of humble. I think we've told God we've got this. Not only are we not interested in what you have to say, we're right and you're wrong. We have it. We understand. We've got the wisdom and the knowledge and the insight. God, we see things clearly. We're not really sure what you're doing. You're real old school, maybe irrelevant at this point. But God, we see it all clearly. And so thanks for everything for the last several thousand years, but we've got it from here, right? And I'm telling you, God is challenging you and I to humble ourselves. And so for the remainder of this time, I want to talk about humbling ourselves before God and realizing our great need for him in this really dark hour, realizing how desperate we are for him to show up and do something powerful and mighty and impossible. And so I want to encourage you guys to just think about humility today. And I got to tell you, this is the the greatest message on humility I've ever written. Uh, Some of you will get that joke later. That's all right. Maybe I was meant to be humbled by that joke. I don't know. But but there's this really famous passage in James about pride and humility. And James says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. Why do we need to humble ourselves? Because pride is that constant kind of loud screaming at God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm good, right? And I just want to let you know what it looks like when that is our attitude. I want to remind you how terrible a thing it is to have God oppose us. I want you to think about something really big and powerful against you, all right? Now, when I was a kid, there was a certain football player that captivated my attention. His name was William Perry. Here's a picture of him. His nickname was The Fridge. This dude was huge. He was ginormous, okay? He's the real deal. And I want you to see this next picture. This is him, defensive lineman for the Chicago Bears. Dude was just so much fun to watch. You can see him just pushing that other guy back like, depart from me. Just flick him. You know what I'm saying? 
And really, what's the whole attitude that this guy's given off? You are not getting by, bro. You are not getting by. Guys, have we realized that when we have this arrogance in our heart, God opposes us, God looks at you and I and says, you are not getting by. William Perry was 6'2", 382 pounds. He won a Super Bowl championship, has the biggest ring size in football history. It's a 25. Most men have an 11. Guys, he's wearing a bagel on his finger, okay? (laughs) But that, that's an image of you and I, proud and arrogant. That's an image of God opposing us. Guys, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you know God's opposing you, where you know he's against what you're doing? And you know what? Some of you guys walk into this room tonight, you could care less about our nation right now. You could care less about pride and all these things I'm talking about because you walked in here really hurting and really broken on a personal level. But some of you guys are so broken in life right now because that's what you're doing. And God's opposing you. And he's opposing you out of love, guys. He's opposing you because you're trying to go down a path that he knows is so deadly. And so he lovingly stands there like I would tonight if one of my kids was trying to run out of the house and head somewhere I know is deadly for them. But we sense that opposition. And we sense that there's something not right. Maybe it's because we're fighting God at every turn. And I'm telling you, man, I have been there many times in my life. And I do not want to stay there long. And that's why I'm thankful for the other half of this verse. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you look at the the root of this word, the etymology of the word humble, it doesn't just mean humble. It literally comes from a word that means on the ground or earth. It's the word humus. And so the picture here, guys, is when we humble ourselves, it's like we're laying ourselves down on the ground before God. I want you to think for a second. As you read through the Bible, isn't it true That when people came into the presence of God, they fell down on the ground. Right? Think about it here. Just check out these verses real quick with me. Leviticus 9, Numbers 22, 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 5, 2 Chronicles 7, Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 9, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel spent a lot of time on the ground. Daniel 8, Daniel 10, Matthew 17, John 18, Acts 9, Acts 26, Revelation 1, Revelation 5, and Revelation 11. These were people literally coming into the presence of God and falling down on the ground. And you know what? What they did physically, God calls you and I to spiritually. God calls you and I to say, okay, here's my will, God. Here's my plans, God. Here's my agenda. Here's my knowledge. Here's my core beliefs. Here's my core values. Here's what I'm about. I'm going to lay it down on the ground before you, God. I'm going to just, without And we're going to talk about this later. Without feeling like a piece of trash, this isn't about groveling. This isn't about worthlessness. I'm just recognizing that I'm coming into the presence of something awesome. So much bigger than me. And so I'm going to lay all that down on the ground. And i got to say, don't you agree that our nation has not only not laid down all those things on the ground, but we fought for our agenda, we fought for our plans, we fought for our way, we fought for our core values, and we've placed God down on the ground, haven't we? It's like we've got it backwards in this last season. But God says, watch, watch. When you place all that stuff down on the ground, you watch how I give grace to the humble. Benjamin Franklin tells this story about talking with a preacher, and you guys can read it with me. He was showing me out of the house, and there was a very low beam near the doorway. I was still talking when the preacher began shouting, Stoop, stoop. 
I didn't understand what he meant and banged my head on the beam. Guys, listen, young crowd tonight, you're young, he said, and have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it, and you will avoid many hard thumps. He said, that advice has been useful to me. I've avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high in pride. Guys, I believe America is broken because we keep cracking our head on the beam. Our heads are held high. And God calls us to lay our pride and lay our arrogance and lay our will and our very desires down on the ground before him and then experience his grace. We will either experience opposition or grace. So it says next in verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. God, my ways don't work, yours do. God, all those things that you say in your word that I don't like, that I've just decided I'm gonna skip that chapter, I'm gonna skip that verse, I'm gonna skip that section of scripture. I, I know better, right? What would it look like? Guys, we, we live in a, in a world where all this stuff I'm talking about tonight is incredibly countercultural, right? You're not gonna walk into your school or your office this week. You're not gonna go back to school in the, in the fall and start talking about all this stuff and people are gonna start applauding you and telling you to get up on the stage, right? This is all countercultural. And so what we've begun to do is maybe you and I, we don't come with the attitude of, God, I know so much better than you and I have no need for you. Why are you in church on a Sunday? Obviously, you know you have some need for God. But here's the danger for your generation. The danger is that we begin to pick and choose what we need from God, right? I like this. I like that forgiveness stuff. And I like the love stuff. And I'll take that. But this whole chapter, no way, man. There's no way that's true anymore. Guys, your friends and your professors, they, they may be real smart, but... God speaks the truth, and God knows the truth, and God wrote the truth, and God is the truth. And so don't begin to pick and choose what you like that he says. We've got to stand continually for the truth that God has delivered to you. And I'll tell you what, the neighbors and the friends and the coworkers and all those people you so badly want to reach with the love of Jesus, the only hope they ever have of actually seeing the love of Jesus is if you and I continue to humbly declare the truth. And keep that candle lit in a dark world. It's almost like because we want to not offend people, and I get it, we shouldn't be stupid, we shouldn't be jerks, but because we don't want to offend people out there, it's like we're trying to like keep the candle lit but cover it up as much as possible, right? Man, let's let that candle burn brightly. And then we head somewhere interesting. This almost feels like a left turn. It's not. It's right in line with everything we're talking about. It goes on to this next part. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't it interesting? He brings up the devil here. And if you guys are in here tonight going, I don't believe in a devil. Sorry, man. What I want to just do real quick is say, then what happened earlier this week down south in that shooting where I believe it was 12 people died? Right? I believe people are broken. They're capable of some pretty horrible things. But you get to a certain level of evil. I don't think a person just wakes up and does that. I think there's something behind that. And so I believe in a very real devil. And the devil loves to whisper in our ears. All these different ideas, right? And why does this have anything to do with pride? Because Satan's whole fall had to do with pride. He fell from heaven because he wanted to be like God, be equal with God. And then what's the first thing he dangled out in front of Adam and Eve? What did he really try to appeal to? He tried to dangle out pride. Hey, you should be equal with God. Hey, you don't really take what God says seriously, do you? And so he dangles that right out there, man, and they bit, right? But I gotta tell you something. We learn two beautiful things in this verse right here. Number one, that we can resist the devil, that we don't have to give in to his pride. We don't have to give in to his whispers. Our nation is doing this right now, but we don't have to. 
And number two, that when we resist him, he will flee. He will run away because he no longer has the authority in our life. The only authority he has in our life is what we give him. Last month, I was driving on hospital uh, property. I was trying to go visit somebody in the hospital there, and I, I changed lanes very quickly and without putting my blinker on, which anyone who's driven with me, you know that's not normally, oh wait, that's almost always what I do, that's right. And so I made that little change there and instantly realized behind me, I saw either a cop or a security guard or somebody, I just saw the lights kind of hanging there, but they weren't on yet, and I'm like, oh, here we go, right? Here we go, I'm getting busted for that. And as I kept going, I realized that it was a security vehicle behind me, but it wasn't a security vehicle from that establishment. It was probably just somebody who happened to work at a security place that was driving their car to go visit someone in the hospital. And so I thought to myself, wow, while that security guy, man, he does have authority. He doesn't have it here and he doesn't have it now because I'm not driving on his parking lot. Guys, when you and I give into pride, we are driving on the devil's parking lot. And he has authority then. But it's only because we gave it to him. It's only because we drove on his property. And as long as you and I will continue to just cling to the truths of God and cling to the words of God, and we will lay our pride and we will lay our answers and all of our wisdom down on the ground, not that it's useless, and you'll see that in a minute, not that we're trash, not that we're groveling, but we'll lay all that down before God, then, man, we'll begin to see that the enemy is resistible and he flees when we resist him. goes on here. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You see, this is the beauty of our God, is that even as proud as we can be, as arrogant as we could be, right, he's still just saying, just come near me. Like, that's the heart of God. Just come near me. I know you're making a mess. I know you've done all kinds of crazy stuff, but just come near me. When my son Landon was about two, we used to call him Landon the Destroyer because this kid would just break everything, and just, he was a beast, this little, cute, scary beast. And he would just, like, destroy stuff, everything in his path. One day, Kelly walked into our dining room, and he was standing on the table, and he was just throwing the chandelier back and forth, and it was swinging, just about missing his head. I was like, oh my gosh, this kid, Lord Jesus, let's get, put a helmet on him right now, you know? Um, one day, this is one of my favorite videos to watch of the kids. I'm so glad this is recorded. Bryn was about four, my son Landon's two, my older son Kate is six. And Kate was twice the size of them, but, but he was like kind of a gentle giant, you know? He knew his strength, he was going to protect them. But they were all kind of wrestling and play fighting. And then there's Landon, man, he's just like kicking butt, and I mean, he's just going for it. And there's Brynn, she's got her pixie dust and her dolls, and she's like all beautiful and cute, you know. And I pull Brynn aside at one point in the video. I said, honey, Landon is in like kill mode right now. And so I'd really encourage you to sit this out, because I don't want you to get hurt. I'm warning my four-year-old about my two-year-old, right? Because this was Landon the Destroyer. But man, Landon as much destroying as he would do, as much fighting as he would bring up, as much kind of like angst as he had in him, there'd be a moment, man, he would turn around, he would flash his smile, that little dimple would go off, he'd put his arms up, and what'd you want to do? what I want to do, man, the dad and me just want to be close to him, you know? And I'm telling you right now, you might be landing the destroyer right now. You might be breaking everything in your life. You might be so arrogant and proud and strong in yourself, But the moment you and I turn around and we raise our hands to God, we have a God who says, come close and let me come close to you. And I believe for our nation that our God will be merciful to us if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and say, God, come close to us. We so badly need you 
in this hour. We're going to continue on here in the next part. I just want you to see what a big deal pride is. A lot of us think pride is not that big a deal. Check out this. Remember, in context, we're talking about pride in this passage. He says this, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he saying here? He's saying, guys, this pride in you is deadly, and you need to deal with it. You need to break with it. You need to repent of it and turn from it. This is a huge deal. And I think that often we, we don't put pride too high on the list. You know, If we were to take a poll of the greatest sins, probably pride would never come in first. But think about the scriptures for a minute. You see murderers come to Jesus easily. You've seen prostitutes come to Jesus easily. You've seen thieves and liars come to Jesus easily. You know who almost never comes to Jesus? The proud. The proud religious person who stands back in the corner and curses the darkness. Our pride is so deadly. Man, we got to recognize it for what it is. But let's wrap up on a beautiful note here. Verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, this is beautiful because it speaks to the whole idea that we're worthless when we're down there, that we're groveling that we've got nothing to offer, that we're just a gross mess and he doesn't really want to mess with us. It's almost like you get that image of a king just like kicking some kind of subordinate down on the ground. That is not the image here. You see, what I need you to see today, guys, is that when God picks you up, that's the beauty of this, we lay ourselves down, but then God picks us up. Do you know the value you have in God's hands? Do you know how valuable, how powerful you are in God's hands? My dad is master with tools. He could just take a tool and do amazing things with it and make stuff work and fix a car. He could do anything with a tool, right? A tool in his hands is very different than it is in mine. And I'll tell you what, you are a powerful tool in the hands of God. But he will only pick you and me up when we first humble ourselves before him. So let me talk to you. Let me even drop the age a little bit. If you're under 25 here today, are you seeking God about your life? Are you asking him for direction? Or are you just blazing your own trail right now? Are you saying, oh God, what are you saying I should be doing with my life? Well, where should I be going? What have you created me to do? What have you wired me to do? What passions have you given me that God, you placed me here on this earth to use for you? Or are you just kind of going your own way? I would so encourage you to lay your will, your desires, your ambitions down on the ground before God. And then let him pick you up and use you powerfully. And we as a nation, man, and it starts right here. If his people, we as a nation need to humble ourselves before God and watch the power of being used by him. What I hope you're seeing tonight is this. Humility leads to healing. That's the starting point. Humility leads to healing. If our nation's going to change, if our island's going to change, if Hot Bog's going to change, if this community's going to change, then we've got to humble ourselves and say, oh God, we so badly need you. And your ways are good. You know what's right. I don't. You know what's wrong. I don't. And so I'm going to submit and surrender to what you have to say about those things. You know what will lead to satisfaction and joy. And so I'm going to trust you and follow you. And oh God, you pick me up whenever you want and use me. And thank you, God, that I have value in your hands. And so we've got to collectively humble ourselves before God. I believe humility blazes the trail toward God doing what we so badly need him to do on this island. And so 
Let me ask you to ask yourself a question. Can you just ask yourself, God, have I been arrogant in any way toward you? God, have I been pushing you aside? Have I been pushing your way aside? Have I been blazing my own trail? Guys, I see as I look out, I see so many of you guys so gifted, so talented, placed here to make a powerful, powerful difference and impact. And man, if I could go back to the age some of you guys are at tonight, man, I think I would just step up my humility. I would, I would step up my dependence on God. I would step up my desire for him to pick me up and not try to make my own way forward. And so it starts with this humility. Can you just dream with me for a minute? What would happen a year from now? If tonight we all decided we are in, man, we are in, we're going to humble ourselves before God, we're going to stand for his truth, and we're going to let him lead us. Guys, the next year or two, who, who will be with you? Think about this. Who will be with you when that new building right down the street is finished one day? Who will be sitting next to you because you humbled your heart before God and he moved? What neighbor of yours, what friend from school, what friend from work, who will be sitting next to you? What will God have done in the years to come because we've humbled ourselves right here on June 2nd, 2019. I think the sky's the limit. And I think God wants to do so much. Humility leads to healing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just close the night out by saying this. The most humble person who ever lived was Jesus. Think about it. He's in heaven. Everything's perfect. Everything's good for him. The world's falling apart down here. So he humbles himself and he becomes one of us and he wears diapers for a season. Think of that, right? And he, and he grows up and he gets acne and he probably had some kind of weird first century braces. And like who knows what was going on, right? And then as he continues to grow up, he walks alongside broken people. And these guys, I mean, straight up, like some of these guys were fools, man, making a mess. And he humbled himself and put his arm around them and walked them through it. And then eventually the very creatures that he created put him on a cross and brutally murdered him and placed him in a tomb. But he rose back from the dead to save you and me, that we would know him, that we would have a relationship with him, that we would come close to him. And so if you want a relationship with him tonight, I, I would encourage you to begin the conversation with me in just a minute. But what's interesting to me is I got several emails this past week that today, June 2nd, the day we started this series, around the entire nation was a day that churches were going to pray for our nation. I didn't know that until this week. That, that churches were going to pray for our leadership, our president. Now love him or hate him, agree with him or disagree with him, we can all agree the guy needs prayer. Love our leadership, our congressmen, our senators, all of them. Hey, I don't care if you agree with them or me. What I care is that you and I would bring these men and women in prayer before God. Say, oh God. We need you. That we would humble ourselves, even if it's praying for the guy we don't like. Even if it's praying for the senator that we can't stand. We've written 18 letters to so far because we disagree with them so much. Okay, they need prayer. And so tonight as we end, I want to pray for our nation, pray for our leadership, and just ask God to begin to do a great thing. But it starts here. It starts with this humility. Guys, let's get a vision for what God can do. Man, I'll tell you what, 20 to 40 feels like that to me. 20 to 40 went so quick. Man, I want you guys, I want you guys to live it. I want you guys to be willing to lay your ambitions down before God that he would lift you up.
and we would see God do a great thing. We prayed tonight that this room, this service, over the next season will explode, that we won't have room here in this room for all the young adults and all the people that God will bring in in this next season as he heals our community. And so I believe God's about to do some pretty crazy things, guys. And I'm so excited that you get to be a part of it. But I would just pray that we'd all together start with humility because humility leads to healing. Let's pray. God, we are very, very excited about you. We are seeing your hand at work. We are so humbled by that, God. We're amazed by that, Jesus. We know, God, what a unique thing you're doing. And God, we start right now by looking at our nation that is broken, by looking at the people in our lives that so badly need Jesus. And God, we refuse to curse the darkness any longer. Instead, God, we want to shine brightly. We want to light this candle, God, that it would bring the hope of Jesus to a dying world. And so, God, I pray for help, God. And I pray, Lord, for all the potential in this room to be reached, God. I pray for every person that is sitting here tonight with ambition and drive. God, that's a good thing. But I pray that it will be placed down on the ground before you. And then, God, you can lift them up and use them in mighty, mighty ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about this for a minute? If you've been proud, if you've been stiff-arming God, if you've been trying to do your own thing, carve your own path, and you know, you feel it, man. You feel the opposition of God against you. Man, can this just be the last moment that's true of you? Can this change? Can this be the moment you say, God, I am done fighting you. I'm done fighting you on this issue. I'm done fighting you on what I want to do with my life. I'm done fighting on trying to keep my own right. And God, today, I place all of it, all of it down on the ground. God, then you pick me up. You pick me up because I have great value in your hands. And you will do things with me, God, that I could never do myself. Let's pray for our nation for a minute. God, we lift our nation to you. We so badly want to see you move. God, we lift our president to you. God, give this man wisdom, Lord. Let him see your heart. God, be with all of his counsel. Be with everyone who surrounds him. Be with his family, God. Be with our leaders. Be with all those that are senators and and congressmen and women. God, be with all those local officials, Lord Jesus, everybody around, God. Even the decision makers that sit right across the hall in this school, God. We cry out to you for godly wisdom and a godly anointing, God, to lead in a really scary hour. God, we so badly need you. We lift the next election to you. We lift all of those decisions that are to come, God. Put the people into power that need to be into power in this season that, God, you would heal our land. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you want to begin a conversation with him, would you pray with me now? Would you just pray something like this? Jesus, thank you so much that you have come. Thank you so much that you have humbled yourself so that I could know you. Jesus, Thank you that you have told me that you'll come close to me as I come close to you, God. Jesus, show me what it is to follow you. And I thank you so much for this gift of salvation. So before we open our eyes tonight, I want to pray for you this week if you prayed that prayer for the very first time. And so just look me right in the eye really quickly. Nobody else is looking around. Is there anybody tonight that put their trust in Jesus for the first time? I see you. Awesome. Anybody else here? Just making my way through the room kind of slowly. Anybody else? 
you, God, for all that you've done today, God. Thank you for every life, Jesus, that have put their heart in you. And thank you for all of us who are already followers of Jesus. Let us shine brightly in this dark world.